0: and welcome to the founded and grounded podcast every episode we take the real world experience of an established entrepreneur and share with you their wisdom and their learnings so that you can apply this to your own business circumstances or just to life in general so that's what we're all about on this podcast so if that sounds good to you then welcome on board this is episode 13 now of series three of founded and grounded I'm Andrew Parsons. I'll be your host for the next half an hour or so, but of course, I can't do this on my own. So at this point, I'm going to bring in my fellow presenter and producer, the business startup guru, the man on a mission for entrepreneurs everywhere, Mr. Oli Collard. Good morning.
1: Good morning, Andrew. How are you doing?
0: I'm very well, thank you. And listeners, you probably guessed that uh, we're recording online again today. We're a virtual. Although I got to say, Ollie, it's been a sensational week of weather. I think summer's come early. I don't, I don't know whether you be pleased or not, given the uh, anxieties around climate change, but I think everyone's had a smile on their face this week.
1: I think it's put a smile on everyone's faces and I'm glad uh, spring is here and it definitely feels like Summer.
0: Fantastic stuff. I know know the world's a bit of a weird old place right now and and not always the happiest place. So we'll take anything at the moment just to uh, bring a bit of cheer. So here we go then. We will have Samantha, our community lead, joining us later in the show. She'll be on board with us very shortly. So we're going to come to all the analysis of our last episode and what you, our listeners, have been saying about episode 12 and what we featured there. So we'll be joined by Samantha later in the show. But This episode, we're going to be talking about beer, aren't we?
1: We are indeed. So I caught up with Alex, who is co-founder of a craft beer company called Lost and Grounded, which is bang on brand with our podcast, Andrew.
0: Absolutely. We do love a craft beer and, and it, it does feel like it's a commodity that's synonymous with the whole startup culture and, and something that's exploded as as a market recently. One of the things we're going to be talking about today, Ollie, is culture. And I think craft beer is one of those commodities. We know we feature all kinds of industries and sectors on Found and Grounded. And this is actually the second time we've talked to a craft beer entrepreneur. But it does seem that it's one of those commodities that is very much a lifestyle thing. And we've certainly seen an explosion in these in in recent years, haven't we?
1: Yeah, I think it's a a bit of a movement and maybe a bit of a cult following. I think, you know, traditionally all the big lager companies were dominating the industry, all with kind of very similar kind of bland beers over here in the UK. And I think it's become part of a movement. People want to know about where it's coming from the different notes in the beer people just want that intrigue and curiosity which craft beer brings them
0: yeah and what's also interesting about the whole craft beer movement ollie is that actually it is a very broad demographic now i mean you just touched upon it just then but i remember i'm showing my age here now well we only have to go back 15 20 years and going to the pub or going to a bar and having a beer for example there was a very limited selection. You know, the whole real ale thing was still quite nascent and the choice wasn't there. Whereas now you've got craft beers, you've got ridiculous choice, you've got multicolored cans, you've got an industry that speaks not just to maybe men in their 40s and 50s, but now to younger men, but also men and women as well. So it's actually appealing to a much broader demographic than it used to isn't it
1: 100% and I think also there's a a big movement with alcohol-free beer as well and I think that market is going to be taking off over the next couple of years as well
0: yeah definitely look so beer is a very interesting place to be right now so really interested to hear about how Lost and Grounded have been doing in this busy and exciting and dynamic marketplace and so Ollie I know you actually you didn't just catch up with our guests this week but you actually went to their brewery didn't you
1: Alex very kindly invited me to the Lost and Grounded Brewery in Bristol and yeah I absolutely loved it. He gave me a, a tour of all of the equipment explaining about you know the origins of it and what everything does and the process and how long it takes and I could just tell the passion coming through in his voice. He's so passionate about the products that he makes. And we'll come onto to this in a bit later in the podcast, but from the moment I walked in, I was greeted, there was people doing a, a tasting session, they had a tap room that was open to the public, and everything about the whole experience was very transparent from start to finish.
0: And of course, you didn't leave without having a cheeky taste yourself, did you?
1: <laughs> well Alex offered one and it would be rude to decline it, Andrew? well
0: you, do, you have to take that one for the team Ollie I completely understand well look let's crack on then with the conversation with Alex and as we do on Founder and Grounded we always start with the origin story and we asked Alex to just try and explain how Lost and Grounded came into being and it's an interesting journey that brought him and his partner to Bristol.
2: So we started in 2016 and but prior to Lost and Grounded, i was I've been a brewer for well since uh, professionally since 2003 uh, so yeah nearly 20 years actually uh, but then was really interested in beer actually from about 1993 i started home brewing <laughs> so so <laughs> long time ago and then i i sort of was doing my degree in colorado and then when i finished that i moved back to australia where i was living when i was in school and then um, worked in Tasmania, but in an iron ore mine, and then uh, met my partner, Annie, there. So Annie was previously a social worker, worked with people with acquired brain injuries and, and similar. And then I was a um, process engineer, so chemical engineer. So I always wanted to work in brewing, and it was in about 2003 where I finally got my, my first like, proper break. From there, we worked in um, Melbourne, Perth, Brussels, Perth again, then Melbourne again, then London, and then finally Bristol. So, like I said, Annie's from um, Tasmania, where where I was working. I was born in Guatemala, but my father's Chilean, okay. and then my mum's from US. So that all that kind of mixed up is also the sort of lost bit of the name. <laughs> 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 and so the ground of it was uh, someone that's sensible knows what's important. So for us was to um, actually sort of stop and pause and think. Well, how can we do something of you know that we feel like it could be our own vision, our own kind of dream, whatever. Uh, but at the same time, that something that we could sort of grow and scale up and give people um, careers and all that sort of business so um so yeah that's how we kind of got started sort of started dreaming it up um in a pub in islington back in 2015 and then um one thing led to another and then as you saw we can't go anywhere now (laughs) we're stuck it's amazing
1: story there alex talking about all your brewing history and all that traveling that you did uh, throughout your career how did you go from that initial idea in the pub to actually starting the business?
2: think the interesting thing for us was um, the process that we very much took was, think about having a brewery or any business, that was down the line. The first step for us was actually trying to find the type of business that we wanted to be, more like culturally, and we came up with four values, It was um, which we still use today, which is humble, inclusive, clever, and raw, so the, the, the four values. We don't really have a company mission statement or anything, because most of them just say, we 're going to make amazing beer to make our customers happy blah 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 that 's kind of all bullshit because everyone has the same <laughs> has the same mission ultimately um, so ours is actually humble inclusive clever, and raw and so humble is about being a quiet achiever, just do a great job inclusive is about let 's try and keep the structure as flat as possible, but also how we how we treat our customers and everything clever is about um, thinking about things differently, and raw is about being open, so it's about um, where that be when you come into the taproom, like you've seen, you can just see the brewery there, or actually how we are with, with all the crew, or um, and how we are with our customers as well, so we don't um, try and hide anything, you know. So that was, the, that was the first step. Then we sort of overlaid, well, that's how we want a company to be, you know, then where will it be, and what's the rationale for it um, to be, so... Uh, then we, were, we we stumbled upon Bristol on the way to Cornwall one day. And we were like, well, we kind of felt like freedom a little bit. And we thought, right, there's a lot of Australia um, at the time. And, and we said, well, OK, well, what if we got new visas? And what if we found a place to live? And what if we could find a place to build a brewery? And what if we could get the extra investment? And what if, what if, what if? And we kind of ticked all that off. But when it came to Bristol, it was like, well, what, what would be the reasons for setting up an operation like this here? It's like, well... It's a creative city, large student population, there's a good degree of independent business, there's a lot of investment happening. It's not too far from London, because obviously a lot of business, no matter what you're in, kinda goes through London. And so we thought, okay, well that's that's great. And then longer term as we thought as we grew, you know, there's good universities here, there's you know, it's a decent place to live, you can live in the country, you can live in town, all this kind of thing. So we sort of ticked another box there, like in terms of like potential work life kind of balance for everyone. Then from there, it's like, well, okay. Up until that point, it can be a zipper factory or a button factory, whatever, it doesn't really matter. But the principle is actually trying to get that kind of culturally set why you want to be. And then it was like, well, what are you going to make? So then it's like, we're going to make beer. And then for us, it was making Keller Pills, uh, which is still to this day, majority of our sales is Keller Pills. Using the point of like the the lost and the grounded bit, um, the grounded bits, so you know, remember what's important. So if you're going to make an amazing product um, like Keller Pills, what do you need? So you need technology, you need to be able to scale up, you need to have a site big enough that has ability to grow, you need to look at you know what utilities you need to do that, room for trucks, all these things that you don't think about necessarily when you think like, I'm just going to start a brewery. And then, yeah, from there, it sort of just went on. So there's very, like, in hindsight, kind of methodical how we did it. Following after all that, it's like, well, okay, well, now we know how we want it to be, what we want it to be, what we want to make it's a little complicated with money then (laughs) so it's like (laughs) so how much money do we need (laughs) you know and then start working it up like that but um yeah we sort of pulled it pulled it together and we're able to luckily have a network of people that we sort of worked with in the past that were able to to help us kind of get it off the ground looking back now in hindsight what we're doing we've kind of stuck to our guns actually which is kind of satisfying
1: so Alex obviously you've got uh a vast experience in brewing and you're very passionate about brewing and, uh, and beer in general but it sounds like uh, from a couple of the things that you've already talked about is that there was uh, a bigger underlying reason why you started this business in the first place.
2: So for like Annie and I um, it was about how can we make something that we feel like is going to be special or different because given a pot of money anyone can build a brewery, anyone can make a brewery, anyone can, if you wanted a bakery, you could make a bakery, whatever, and you could go out and you could hire a baker, or you can hire a brewer, you know, and you can go out and you can hire a salesperson, and you can do all those things, and, and on paper you have a you have a business, but I think the the most valuable thing in, in it is like, you know, not just like the brand, but actually the culture, because actually you can't buy a culture, you have to like make it, having a very clear vision about what you want that to be. And actually trying to stick to it so the hardest thing is when the pressure's on don't lose the plot and i think that's the hardest thing is like don't lose the plot i've definitely lost the plot a few times but you know it's sort of like when you take a step back you sort of come back to it like okay well why do we want to make this happen well we want things to be inclusive we want to uh, think about things differently we want to feel um you know our main branding is like feels friendly and curious you know and all these things that we kind of think about in our day-to-day kind of work but in that kind of cultural piece, it's like we knew that when we started the brewery, we were going to be straight away like a Living Wage Foundation employer, not the, not the fake Living Wage that the government sort of put out to confuse the Living Wage Foundation yeah. people. But um, so at the time, we were only one of about a dozen brewers in the country that were Living Wage um, employers, like certified or credited. But there's like 2,000 brewers in the country, you know. So Especially now, because we've hired a lot of people the last, the last wee while. Because before the pandemic, there was about 12 of us. Now there's like 30-odd. So that's a lot of crew to sort of come on and make sure everyone's kind of feeling the same way. But what we've kind of been doing deliberately is trying to keep reminding everyone that actually it's not about the brewing team. It's not about the logistics team. It's not about the sales team. It's actually about lost and grounded. It's actually about everything. And coming to the UK, I think... Was a bit of an eye opener because it is very, still very hierarchical. And you know the class system still very much alive and well. And I think you know there are some organizations out there, even in brewing, if you got got more traditional brewers, where is very much a top down approach. And for us it was like we want to, we wanted to have a company that was different to that. So we wanted to take the good bits about you know places we worked or philosophies or like, um, and it's very much about the people because I'll oftentimes be about like right we're just doing this and now we're making beer and everything's great and everything's exciting but you know annie will then say to me well you know you can't just people aren't robots you can't just like you know keep on you know what are you trying to do like you know you know just this is crazy so it's always like a good sense check to me annie's really probably the one over time kind of has kept the culture more like massaging it and having the gut feel about what's right and what's wrong you know whereas i'm I'm very much like, I, I focus too much on numbers. numbers. Numbers and spreadsheets. It's very easy to work with a spreadsheet. You just put it in and you just get the answer you want out the, <laughs> at the end of it. It's, <laughs> <the world. laughs> it's black or white. People are just a million, million shades of all different colors, you know. And what we're in now, like in the last kind of 12 months and what we're going into is like how do we actually go from where we were now or where we were like a year ago to where we are now to where we want to be in a couple of years. And it's actually going to be all about the crew. It's all, It's all about the team, you know. It's no good in us having the most successful company in the world if you know everyone that works there hates it <laughs> you know or if everyone you know hates the other team or everyone hates the other department or well, that's that's no good it's like we want to work out how do we make this take this from uh, you know business where last year we turned over about shy of three million the year before it was about 1.6 million this year hopefully it'll be six million or whatever how do you go from that to whatever to whatever to whatever to actually knowing that there's a crew that, on board that actually love it, what they're doing, you know, and that's what, you can't buy that. You have to make it, you know.
0: So, Ollie, when I was thinking about an overriding theme for this particular episode, besides beer, of course, the one thing that stood out from your conversation with Alex, and it was very clear there, was about culture. And I thought Alex said something quite interesting there in your conversation you had with him. There are many things you can buy into as an entrepreneur, as a manufacturer, as a business, but in Alex's words, you can't buy culture.
1: You definitely can't buy it. And I think to create a culture that has a good camaraderie, work ethic, understanding, empathy, honesty is simply priceless. And that's really going to put the business in good stead for all the predicted growth that it's looking to achieve. So
0: here are the values that Alex spoke to for Lost and Grounded. And it was four words, humble, inclusive, clever, and raw in the sense that nothing is hidden. What was interesting is that they don't have a mission statement. They just simply have those four words, which I thought was was really clever. But it also made me wonder whether mission statements are a bit old hat these days and whether we can spend so long getting tied up in knots about mission statements. And actually, all you need are some simple words that run like letters in a stick of rock through how a whole business is organized and, and operated.
1: Yeah, it's a really interesting approach. I think sometimes mission statements lose their meaning because they're quite generic and they don't actually mean anything to the employees working in the company. So I really like Alex's approach of actually embedding the values and having that as the, the North Star that guides everybody in the company. And I think a lot of companies fall down on values is they just have the words and they don't have any meaning alongside them. Alex has articulated very well exactly what each value means to them. And I think it's about when nobody's looking Do his employees embed
0: these values? And I think that they do. Yeah. He's certainly a very, what you call a very modern entrepreneur. So we hear about the fact that they're a living wage employer, that they look at their business in a very holistic sense. It's not about having siloed departments and divisions who are almost in competition with each other. Now, obviously, there'll be some people who can be a little bit cynical and say, well, that's all very nice and fluffy and that kind of thing. But I've got to say, £3 million turnover last year speaks for itself so you can be a successful business and do all the cultural piece and the values piece and the principles piece as well that you know they're they're not exclusive to each other
1: 100 percent. and when the business grows as it is doing as you say with their you know current three million pound turnover and looking to grow that to six over the next year that's where culture really wins because people are going to be bought in there's going to be massive progression opportunities if you didn't have a good culture it would create as you say, silos, it would create HR problems within the business. So actually, by building a good foundation of culture from the beginning, it makes success easier in the long term. Mm. And just a final question,
0: Ollie, before we move on and just, again, sticking with values and culture. So we said at the beginning that craft beer is very much a sort of a lifestyle commodity. At the moment, and that's not meant to be a criticism. It, it it just is, and we have featured other businesses on founded and grounded who are similar. I remember we talked about True Start Coffee a few months ago, and it got me thinking, Ollie. Obviously, nowadays more people buy into a product or a business for its values and its principles as much as the product itself that they're selling, and it just made me wonder whether for people like Alex and Lost and Grounded, and you know the craft breweries. And also, people like Helen know with True Start Coffee that it's easy for those businesses to get across their values compared to maybe other businesses whose offering is a little bit more virtual or not tangible, if you see what I mean?
1: It's well documented that consumers are four to five times more likely to buy from businesses where their values align. Values have to be deeply embedded and actually mean something. And in the case of True Start or Lost and Grounded, they actually do. And that really connects with their audience. And obviously their customers. And that means that people are really bought into the vision and they buy the product, not just because they like the, the taste of it and how it makes them feel. Actually, they care about how the company treat their employees, how they conduct their business, and they're buying into something larger than just a product.
0: Great stuff. Okay, well, let's move on to the second part of the conversation with Alex. And we always like to get down to the details of the nitty gritty about some of the challenges that an entrepreneur had to deal with and overcome on their way to uh, where they are now. And we we often have to caveat this now because we've done a few episodes over the last two years where obviously uh, COVID in one way or another has presented a massive obstacle or a challenge. But in this case, COVID has presented a very different sort of challenge and one that may be surprising to, to people listening, as Alex will now explain. So we won't focus on the pandemic
2: because <laughs> everyone's already been kicked, kicked so many times by that. So, so another challenge, I think, was uh, rather than that, it was maybe on the flip side. Like when the when things opened up in April 2021, we, we went from like about 20% capacity up to 100 straight away. And we were lucky enough to make it through the pandemic without kind of losing any of the team. Two people leave us, but they left because they relocated to other cities. But yeah, the fundamental team was still here. And we kind of made it through and you know kept limping through with everyone and made it to April. Then suddenly everything went bang. And we went from running like um, 20% to like 100% overnight. And it was pretty clear by about, by about May 2021 that actually we weren't going to be able to keep up. So our choice was the time. Do you start to constrain sales or do you just kind of like figure out a solution to go for it? So our philosophy was, well, everyone's been on board. We're gonna have to do the best we can to just like make it through and ensure like we um grow as much as possible because 'cause we've had all that structure there, so let's try and make sure that we can afford it. We couldn't keep up, so we actually entered into a, a brewing arrangement with a brewery in Belgium that we that we know. Some proportion of our um Hellas, so one of our main products was started to come from Belgium. And what that did as well, like in a in a cultural thing, is First of all, we spoke to everyone about it, so the, here's the choices we got. is like either we don't sell as much beer or do we just do this as a, as a temporary fix. And actually everyone was on board, just like, yeah, let's do it. But then the other thing we did was we actually then, once we decided to do it, then we completely were transparent with all of our customers and let them know that actually some of the beer you know that we're going to be selling you know may have come from the brewery here, may have come from a partner brewery in Belgium. The main thing is the beer is all going to taste great. But it was really like, in being transparent, actually... Um, no one actually said anything they just the only comments we had was like that's fantastic to see you doing so well and no matter what we'll support you and da 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 so I think that was a good good example of how being true to yourself and being open was actually the right thing to do which was consistent about how we how we wanted to be anyway
1: and Alex you've got an amazing career in brewing so you're probably quite confident in terms of the end product that you can make But how did that differ to having an in-house job to actually launching your own business um, and all the things that come with that? Were there any challenges that you came across in the early days?
2: I think we kind of tried to keep so pure to our vision, which in the end has kind of worked. But it definitely was like, especially in a really crowded market, when you start, there's always like a bit of excitement in the market. Wow, this has happened. And you're kind of like, wow, we're selling all this beer. And then... What happens is it's kind of easy to sell beer once. It's hard to sell it like twenty times. In that kind of first year, first two years in particular, was a bit like, oh, you know, you can kind of see things not going well, and you feel like a uh, deer in the headlights kind of thing. Just thinking like, what's going to happen? And I think, I think in reality for us, like even the, even though I had a lot of experience in brewing and done a masters in business and da da da, and I, I sort of had, I guess, benefit of a lot of you know, experience and education and everything. I think the reality of the matter is the, the challenge of actually, I think, learning to run a business versus having, a say, a senior role in a business. Like, like it's different skill to learn, and it's different different degree of uncertainty you have to deal with, a different degree of, like, stress and everything. And I think in the past of my career, I've always been thinking, like, oh, I can do everything. I, I don't need any help, you know, yeah, You know, whatever the biggest project was, it's like, no worries, we can do that. I think the biggest challenge for me personally was to go like actually I can't do that and I actually need help. <laughs> so it took a it took a long time to actually come to that point, you know, come to that point and probably through fair bit of pain and suffering, you know, in, in between. And I think we're probably skipping ahead here, but you know, my one bit of advice would be like, Yeah, if you're in that place of like starting a business, it's like don't be afraid to ask for help. You know, in hindsight, reality if you, if you have shareholders or if you don't, but if you do have shareholders, you know, most of those people that have invested and in you want to see the thing succeed, you know, there tend to be people that can probably help you in one way or another, you know, whether that be with extra funding or just advice or just, a, you know, an ear to kind of listen because they've got similar experience or whatever. And I think that's where it's um, a big shift for us was probably a couple of years ago where we kind of realized that actually, in fact, it is like a team. They talk about a team, you know, if you have your shareholders and everything. And I think it is important to really realize it is a team. And everyone's in it for the same thing because they believed in the vision that Annie and I first put together, you know, like all those years ago. Yeah, my bit of advice, ask for help if you need it. <laughs> don't, 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 don't drown. Just, just, you know, gargle a bit of water. <laughs> but don't let yourself completely drown. So the pandemic and successive lockdowns have had a massive
0: impact in particular on the hospitality industry and on, on brewers. And it almost seems quite perverse that actually when everything opened back up again, and that moment when we could all go back to the pub or to the bar and be together again, that that presented actually a particular sort of challenge in this case for Lost and Grounded.
1: Yeah, and I think the, the initial challenge was obviously keeping staff on during the pandemic. And Alex was very proud to say that actually he was able to do that, which is fantastic, meaning people didn't have to go into the world of unemployment. So I think during lockdown, they were operating at a 20% capacity in terms of production. And literally overnight, when we came out of lockdown, they had to get up back to 100%, which is
0: no small feat. What's interesting, just with that point you made there, Ollie, and the fact that they did have to relocate some of the production overseas, albeit across the channel to, to Belgium, that they were very transparent with their consumers about this. And again, it just goes back to how their values are absolutely intrinsic and integrated through everything that they do, whether it's that transparency or whether it's simply trying to do as much as they can to keep their team together, despite some unprecedented economic conditions.
1: Yeah, it's really important. And I think that obviously, to meet all of the demand, they had to make a business decision to relocate some of the production overseas. And like you say, they could have just kept that under wraps. At the end of the day, the consumers may not know where the beer has been produced, but for the honesty, the transparency, they decided to make that information public. And actually, they received very warm messages of support from all of their customers and stakeholders in the business. And I think actually, by being honest and upfront, I think you even strengthen your relationship with all of your stakeholders.
0: Yeah, and I do get the impression, certainly with brewers and breweries, that actually those relationships with consumers are absolutely integral. And and actually, it's one of their unique selling points and having that relationship In a way that, you know, the bigger producers could never have that intimacy with your consumers. The other thing which I thought was really interesting, Ollie, and I wanted to ask you about this, was about the role of shareholders. Now, we're talking about support networks and what sustains you. Alex made a very honest point about being realistic about your own limitations and knowing when to ask for help. And actually, he brought forward his one piece of advice much earlier in the episode. So we're going to bring it in here now rather than wait till the end. So basically, knowing when to ask for help. And he actually talked to his shareholders as being part of the team. Now, in an old-fashioned corporate kind of way, that shareholders were this kind of disembodied group who simply creamed off the profits and who took their dividends, and you'd never hear from them again for another 12 months. But here, they seem to have a much more positive and productive role. And an extension of a network in many ways. And it's not something I've heard from many of our other entrepreneurs, Ollie.
1: I think the recent world of business has resulted in investors becoming a lot more invested in the businesses that they're funding. Um, So generally speaking, you get two camps, you know, those passive kind of silent investors or people who are really invested and actually want to take an active role in the company, such as having a board seat. I think Alex has developed key relationships with his investors from day one, When he started the business, he needed over 600,000 to get the brewery off the ground. And I get the feeling that he brought those investors on very early and he sees them as an integral part of the company and the future growth as well of the company. Is that common, Ollie, for a founder to have that kind
0: of relationship with shareholders? Do you think maybe more founders could look at shareholders as, as a support network rather than simply playing the role that they do?
1: If you're raising funds, I think it depends on your disposition. So whether you've got a great team internally, and you're very clear on your vision, or actually you're looking for somebody who can add significant value in terms of being an investor. So I think if you are looking for that extra support and tapping into additional networks, and usually these investors are very seasoned business people who you know, sold and exited their own businesses. So I would always look to having somebody who's very invested but it depends on the the founder's position really to what they're looking for for the business so alex can you tell our listeners what you've got in store for the next five years for lost and grounded and also i'd be keen to hear your thoughts on the industry in general
2: well, in the next kind of two to three years, we hope to be about three times bigger than we are now. So, <laughs> so, and the, the the thing is, it's not like we need to take over the world. And like, sometimes people say, oh, why do you need to grow or whatever? And it's like, I think you just need to get to whatever size is comfortable for your own businesses, circumstances. So probably a good marker of that is if you're ever worried about paying the VAT bill, probably grow a bit more. <laughs> so if you, because... I've definitely been there before, and like you don't want to. That's a bad. T- that's a bad place to be when you're kind of like worrying about paying HMRC and stuff. Then that's a bad place to be. But in reality, the thing with what for us, the, what comes from growth is not only like okay, yeah, we're we're selling more beer and everything. It's ac- but it's actually about um, coming back to the people side. It's actually giving people more opportunities because if you're in a small business, the thing is really hard to. First of all, when you're really small and starting, it's really hard to attract people. There's only a certain kind of proportion of people that want to work for a really small business. What we've seen as we've grown is we'll have more and more people applying for positions that are have more and more experience to bring to the table because, I guess, when you're really small, you, you it's a bit too much of a risk for some people. They're like, uh, we're not, you know, not quite sure You because know, people have all different situations. Everyone needs to pay rent or a mortgage or whatever. So for us, yeah, growth is important because it, it's actually giving people opportunities. And I think that's the key. That's a key thing. It's it's of course like as a shareholder, eventually you'd like to see something do well because otherwise people wouldn't invest in something, you know. But yeah, coming back to that human aspect, is about it's about that. And then if you get that right, it almost becomes a self fulfilling prophecy. It's like success breeds success in a way, and the success of the business makes people more motivated to like do more. But so we would li- we would like to keep growing. I mean, this year we'll probably ma- we'll probably maximize this site. So it's about then what does the future hold because the do the next stage is quite a major is a major thing so that's a major like 10 15 20 million pound kind of project not a not a two hundred pound project type of thing. so but yeah i guess we'll see what happens I, th- I think this currently 2022 is probably the most critical year in our life so far because there's a certain stage in a food and drink thing so say like in beer it's a certain stage where you kind of go from being something fledgling to a bit more of a brand and we're, we're kind of right in the midst of it at the moment so how we handle this next kind of 12 months to 18 months is probably yeah the most critical thing ever and the future of the industry future of the industry i mean there's a lot of there's a lot of breweries i mean I, it's hard to predict will there be some more consolidation I don't, yeah you know there could be could be you know, a few people dropping out, but it seems to be as people drop out, more people come in. Yeah. Um, th-
1: what about the growth of craft beer since like, you started in Bristol alone? Like,
2: in terms of yeah, no, I mean, the craft beer market is growing. So in principle, there's more opportunity, but it just depends. There'll be certain players that are growing a lot more than others. So I don't know where we're in the scheme of things, but if the craft beer market's growing at, say, 10% a year, and we grew 100% last year, Maybe we're growing more than others. You know, it's basically, basically like economics in action. So as you see, see some players start to scale, then other players find it more difficult. So that's the other thing about growth is like it's, it's probably important in the back of your mind knowing that where do you want to be? And like I'm saying, it's not about taking over the world. It's about where do you want to be and knowing the clear reason why you should be doing what you're doing. You know, we know, we make lager. What's lager? It's a numbers game. It's about volume, it's about putting beer on trucks, it's about all that sort of thing. So for us, scale over time is important. But if you're more a niche specialist product, then scale is not so important, because you actually have a really clear brand and clear purpose, you know. Uh, I think that's really key, is like when there are so many players in a market, is like really understanding, yeah, why you should exist.
1: And Alex, where can people... Find the brewery and also find you guys online.
2: We're in Bristol. We're at 91 Whippy Road, bs 4 ar We have a taproom here that's open Fridays and Saturdays through the year. We have a website, lostandgrounded.co.uk, but we also have a, an online store called lostandgroundedstore.co.uk. You can sign up to our mailing list there and get a discount code for the for your first order if you become a subscriber. And, yeah, we're just always, always happy to have people come to the brewery and see what we do. And when you do come, you can literally just see the brew house right there. So... There's uh, no smoke and mirrors. It it's really is a brewery. i got
1: to crack open a beer it. <laughs> like. Thank you very much, sir. Thank yeah, you. No it's
0: quite clear that Lost and Grounded are in that midpoint where they're no longer really a startup, but they're no longer a massive multinational brand either. But they're just in that sort of middle point where they could go in one of several directions, which must be quite an exciting but also slightly unnerving position for a, a business to be in, Ollie.
1: Yeah, I think it's a bit of a a transition point, really. Like you say, they've got a certain amount of scale. They are looking to obviously double their turnover over the next year. And there's going to become a point where they're going to outgrow their brewery. So the next logical step is they would need to obviously make a significant investment to launch a new brewery. And so I guess that's probably the, the next decision that Alex is going to have to make at some point.
0: Yeah. And we discussed this on previous episodes where we talk about the growth dilemma. Often founders and their, their businesses, they have that quite intimate relationship with their, their customers and their consumer base. And I guess this is very much the same for, for craft beers, that they almost have followings and communities that have loyalty almost or, or affiliated to their particular brand or their their outlook on life. So it must be quite difficult. I think this is the point Alex made in terms of growth. And I think in his words, you know, where do you want to be? Do you want to be the next brew dog, for example, or do you want to kind of continue playing that niche furrow where you have that sort of size that means you can be quite flexible and, and still have that connection with, with your markets.
1: Yeah, just on the, the point of the kind of growth dilemma, I think that as you grow, you don't want to alienate your existing loyal customer base and change what you're doing. So I think, yeah, that that's something that you've got to be very clear on is actually you're still growing in a way that is true to the original reason why you started and you don't want to result in the growth coming sort of mission drift and straying away from the origins of the business. I think that's an important point to consider.
0: Before the episode, I have quickly scribbled down all the craft brewers, all the, all the microbrewers I could think of in Bristol, and I was writing down loads. There were just so many that came to mind. So obviously, craft beer, it, it is a growing industry, and there have been so many new entrants to this industry. If you just take our city alone, it's it's crazy how many people have been coming on board. I mean, it's great for the consumer, but I can imagine pretty eye-watering if you're a, a craft beer business. Yeah, again, it's a really good point from Alex about knowing why you should exist in a crowded market
1: absolutely and like you say with the, the flood of new entrants into the market it does become a lot more crowded. A great quick exercise that business owners can do is a market mapping exercise so you just do two axes and you can put anything on the axes from anything from quality price, flavors and what you can do is actually map out the entire market and then you can see whether you're still owning your own niche within that marketplace.
0: When you go into a shop and you're looking at the the craft beer section, why do you buy the beer that you do? What what do you look for Ollie, when you buy a beer? What's going through your head when you choose that can off the shelf?
1: Firstly, I'm looking to see if something stands out on the shelf. I think that's the first fundamental thing that I look for. So a really interesting kind of design and clear brand identity, I think, it's actually quite important. So I think Lost and Grounded have really nailed that. Secondly, you're looking at obviously the type of beer that you're looking to buy, whether it's like an IPA or a stout, whatever it is and then maybe looking at percentages potentially in terms of yeah whether you're looking for more a kind of session style or something stronger and then obviously price as well so i'd say that's kind of the the order that i'd follow but i'm I'm sure that varies from person to person
0: loving that little glimpse into your consumer habits there ollie very enlightening Okay, okay, right. Well, enough talking about beer, as we could talk about beer all day and have a whole separate podcast on that. But now let's uh, bring in our community lead at this point. So, first of all, a very warm welcome to the show to Samantha Miles. Hi, Andrew. How's it going? All right.
3: Yes, busy, but it's all good.
0: Yeah, I think we're all comparing notes. How crazy business <laughs> is. So uh, good, good to. Uh, Good to hear you. Good to see you again, as you popped up on our screens. Every episode, Samantha looks into what you've been saying about our last episode. And in particular, our featured entrepreneur always poses a question for listeners to respond to. So, Sam, could you remind us who we were speaking with last time and what they wanted to find out from our Founded and Grounded listeners?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So, we spoke to Sam White, who wanted to know what the preferred route for raising investment is. So she put forward two options, crowdfunding and institutional investment. We had 72% of people say crowdfunding and only 28% of people for institutional investment. So there's a massive amount of people now leaning towards crowdfunding. It was really interesting to see that sort of focus shifting. So we had some interesting comments as well. When we pitched the question forward, We used the fact women are 17% more likely to die in a car crash than men. One of the things that came out in the comments was actually about this fact. And a lot of people were surprised and didn't know about this fact. And Serena asked whether the fact was from the book Invincible Women. She recommended giving that a read as well. So that's all about exposing bias in a world designed for men. So anybody who was interested in the topic might want to give that a look. But we also had some really interesting shifts for the crowdfunding focus. It was really interesting to see how people felt that that was a bigger opportunity nowadays and allows people to sort of grow profit. And it gives the opportunity for small, exciting companies to grow. One of the great suggestions that was put out was actually about combining these. So the concept that you could raise your crowdfunding and actually get an institution to match fund that crowdfunding, because then you've proven your traction. It's much easier to get that support once you have the proof. So the combination was an interesting idea too.
0: Okay. So last episode, episode 12, which obviously we recommend you go and have listen to if you haven't already, was, was really interesting because we didn't just talk about the world of insurance uh, and Sam's journey to where she is now, but we did talk a lot about women raising investment and how sometimes things can be almost institutionally geared against women. So there were so many interesting talking points that came out of that that show. So that was the question from episode 12. For
2: this episode, Alex would like to know the following from you. The question I'm pondering now is, do people buy more into a brand or into a culture? Okay. So that's Alex's question. So please get in touch. We'd love to know
0: your thoughts on that because it does actually tie to a lot of stuff we've been talking about in this particular episode. Samantha, once again, please remind people how they can get in touch.
3: You can find us on all the main social media platforms. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And you can find us in our Founded and Connected Facebook group as well.
0: Fantastic stuff. And just before we go, I've got a bit of confession to make to listeners. I actually did ask. Samantha probably started this bit about her taste in craft beer, but then I realised, Samantha, you're not you're not really a beer drinker, are you?
3: No, I thought we were going to keep that quiet. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, it's not for me, but um it sounds like a really interesting company. So I definitely want to support.
0: Is there any way we can tempt you into the world of craft beer, Sam? Are you gonna to stick to your guns?
3: oh lagers and beers just never appealed to me but i might be suggesting it to my other half because he's a lager drinker so uh, maybe we can get him into the craft beer world yeah Is that good I, enough?
0: yeah <laughs> that'll do for now i know we did that live tasting for ali burger back in december so ollie disappointed that we couldn't get some samples for this show but so we're gonna have to try again we'll have to try and get another brewery on the show in in the near future
1: i'll get some sorted for our end of season party andrew
0: and with that that brings to a close this episode a big thank you once again to our guest this week alex from the lost and grounded brewery and certainly if you live in bristol or you live elsewhere don't forget that you can get involved with their products they are online as well as encouraging you to go and visit their tap room in person so uh, yeah well worth a visit support your local breweries ollie looking ahead to episode 14 who have we got lined up for that show
1: well we've got an interesting guest actually and we've talked about it quite a lot in the last two episodes that's the, the topic of raising finance. So we're actually having a bit of a, a different episode next week. And that's featuring Rob, who is a partner of Boulderton Capital, who are a venture capital company. All right.
0: It feels like we're going to Dragon's Den territory next time around. So uh, that should be intriguing. Thank you very much indeed for that, Ollie. Samantha, lovely to see and hear you again. Enjoy the sunshine. Hope the end of your week isn't too crazy.
3: Yes, thank you. And all of yours as well.
0: Ollie, once again, great guest as ever. Thank you, much indeed. And uh, don't forget, next time you visit a brewery, you know what you have to do, don't you?
1: bring home the beer
0: absolutely sir Absolutely, lovely to speak to you again sir and to you our listeners also thank you very much for listening we know that you have a massive mahoosive choice indeed of podcasts so we really appreciate you spending some time with ourselves here at Founded and Grounded much appreciated but that is a wrap for episode 13 you have been listening to Lost and Grounded on Founded and Grounded with myself Andrew Parsonage Mr Ollie Collard and Samantha Miles also it's been a pleasure Uh, we'll be back again in a few weeks time do join us again then in the meantime please take care keep smiling look out for each other and we look forward to bringing you some more entrepreneurial wisdom in the near future for now it's cheerio